I'm not hiding. I said I'd cover for Brian if he went and got me a can from the calf. Oh, yeah, I did see that you'd opened a bottle last night. So things didn't go to plan with Daniel? <laughs> Unless the plan was extreme humiliation whilst dressed as a disco pink cheesy dream. Right. I went round, like you said. And he was with someone else. With? As in with with? The talk of the street. 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 Episode 287 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Culture podcast that demands that a new ordinance be introduced to the production of Coronation Street that insists that dressing gowns, house coats, robes, or any other bedroom attire be firmly fastened up at all times. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm glad you said it and not me. I'm but sure, also, I'm, I'm sure you'll say it later. But also, I can't decide, and I can't decide this week who's the bigger asshole, Daniel or Billy. Well, there is a question. There is a question. And and we will get to it. We will. Whether we come up with any answers or not mm. is probably it's probably un- an even split. Unlikely. I'm having I'm having the hardest time this week deciding anything. There are fifteen movies on my top ten list for the year. So that's just that's just how this week is going. I've got my ten and I think I've got three honorable mentions. And I think our lists are going to be very different from one another's this year, as opposed to last year, where we pretty much all agreed. Shall I give you a teaser? (laughs) One of my honourable mentions is Killers of the Flower Moon. What? That did not make the top ten. And nor should it. Well, it didn't. It's too long. But honourable mention for that. Really? Mm -hmm. It's it's not anywhere in my fifteen. I, I predict your number one and my number one will be different. But it is a movie we saw together. See, then I want to tell you what my number one is. And I'm not going to do that because that would spoil the surprise. Right. And also, I think I know what it is. But I'd be surprised that my number one isn't your number one. No. I think your number one is my number two. <laughs> Probably. Which was the way it was last year. This is all very interesting really? to listen thought- to us talking about numbers i thought everything everywhere all at once was both of our number ones no it wasn't my number one was your number two two. what was your number one last i can't remember (laughs) but you can remember everything everywhere all at once being number two which means it should have been number one anyway how have you been this week it was uh it's a new year happy new year to everyone happy new year ha 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 I did more for impression. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yes, I celebrated New Year's Eve by finally finishing Succession. So I went to my bed. <laughs> so I just went to my bed. Neither one of us watched the ball drop. No, I think I was asleep. But anyway, yeah. I have had uh, an inkling of something to do since I turned 50, which was to complete a Rubik's Cube. Because I never completed the Rubik's Cube before. My dad could do it, and my mum could do it if she was reading a book that told her how to do it. Right. I read the book that told you how to do it and I still couldn't do it. So uh, I bought a, a a Rubik's Cube for 10 bucks. You can pay up to 60 bucks for these things, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to dedicate this year to learning how to do the Rubik's Cube. And so I watched a 
YouTube tutorial, mm-hmm. and an hour later, I knew how to do the Rubik's Cube. Uh-huh. So my, my years just opened up, because <laughs> now I know how to do it. And right. I, I can do it in about three minutes. You're almost, almost like that kid that made it to the Tetris kill screen this this week and became the first human being to do so. Yeah. You're basically the same person. Absolutely. Have you seen him do it? Yes, the I look on his face. It. The look on his face is just so precious. I don't know how he can see what's happening and react to what's happening and see what's about to happen and react to that as well. Mm-hmm. And blink. Right. I've no idea how we can <laughs> how we can do those things all at once. He said his wrist was very sore. Well, and... it took him thirty eight minutes. Yeah. Of not blinking. Right. And staring at a screen and probably inducing a seizure or two. Right, yeah, and moving his wrist very very fast these are our superheroes <laughs> me being able to do a rubik's cube in three minutes and this kid yes that's it you're welcome world <laughs> people are worried that you know things like homelander will be real and stuff and and people who are far too powerful physically and no our superheroes are people who could reach the touch kill screen and and people who can and me, solve apparently. a Rubik's cube in three minutes after watching a YouTube tutorial. It's I'd love to say it's <laughs> it's complicated. That there is an algorithm that you learn, right? That doesn't solve it all, but it goes a long way to solving it. Mm-hmm. The trick now is to learn a way to do it quicker. And I don't know if I can be bothered. Yeah, it's a satisfying feeling. Oh, I bet. It. I bet. I can add this to the list of. Uh, things like juggling that I learned in order to impress the ladies. Being able to juggle and doing a Rubik's Cube. So that was all for me? Yeah, and it doesn't work. <laughs> and it's, it's never worked. Juggling I'm impressed by. No one's ever been juggled into bed. Anyway. <laughs> we've got a lot to you get through. You obviously were very drunk that night then. <laughs> right. And I seem to remember <laughs> dropping a couple of things. But anyway. Shall we preamble, Madi? <coughs> yes, please. Give us some of that bouncy Cory news. Another week, another member of the cast leaving the show. The factory will certainly be a little less colorful without Beth, as it's been announced that Lisa George is leaving the show. How on earth will Craig and Kirk cope without her? They are both nothing without her. So has this been confirmed? I believe so. I don't know. They're, they're all being very coy about it. Mm. But nobody has denied it. The ramifications of this are huge. One, what's Kirk going to do? Right. And two, who's Daniel going to get to look after Bertie if Ken's not about? Right, yeah. And third, who will be the only person to believe in Craig? <laughs> I mean, could she possibly take people with her could she take <laughs> craig and kirk with her do you think maybe daniel maybe bertie poor bertie poor i have bertie. nothing against bertie no yeah it's, it's a, a terrible parenting again it's uh it's maybe a a result of you know characters that have been on the show for a while that get very little to do right and Wanting to do a little bit more if you're an actor. Right, yeah. Or are given things to do, but it's all very one note. Mm. You know, Beth is just a cow now. Brown. We we thought we were going to get a little bit of 
uh, a deep storyline mm-hmm. with her and Marco that was yeah. that was splitting Hello. up her and and, uh, and Kirk, but that never really amounted to very much and was very quickly reset. It was, was a never, nothing burger, yeah. Never mentioned again. Maybe so. he comes back. Maybe that's why she leaves. Well, I'm sure we'll, we will have find to out. see this summer. Apparently, she, uh, her last episodes will be this summer, kind of around the same time as as Simon. So maybe they leave together. Maybe it's a May December romance. <laughs> Or romance, even. That's what I said. Well, nearly. <laughs> maybe, maybe she's got a gig lined up at Netflix, like Michelle Keegan, whose new show, Fool Me Once, began airing this week on the platform to positive reviews. So, well very done, good her. About this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it yet. No, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard very good things about yeah, it. Yeah, I have too. I'm trying to get through the John Wick movies, which are very good. Why didn't I start them sooner? Again, heard very good things about Right. That. Yeah. Haven't Love the world building. It. Love the world building. And finally, as storms have raged across the UK, it seems no one is immune from the damage. As a tree was ripped from the ground and hit Will Mellor's house and, and he caught it all on tape and posted it to Instagram. Rumor is Harvey has placed a hit on that tree's family. And they've gone into hiding. <laughs> That's Corey News. That's, I was good at saying. That's a tough Corey News. I was good at. And a tough one, finally. I was, I, was, I was going to say that Harvey put a hit on the family's tree. And, you and did. that would have been worse. <laughs> would it, which would have been worse, listeners, writing to tell us? <laughs> the talk of the street at gmail.com. And that's Corey News. It was a slow week this week. It always is. Which leads us ever so seamlessly into our feedback section, which I like to call Everyone's a Critic. Now. Uh-oh. <laughs> two very polarising opinions <gasps> of uh, our Bobby came in last week. Uh-huh. And you know, our Bobby. I, I not my Bobby. <laughs> At least I, I hope not. Don't you mean my Bobby? I, I, hope, I hope you've not been complaining about things <laughs> with a pseudonym. <clears throat> Why do I feel like I'm blushing? Mm, yeah, I've been secretly. I telling. have. I am nothing if I'm not painfully politically correct. And, Are you? And it feels like I kind of agree with both of these pol- polarizing opinions. Okay. But I say it every week, mm-hmm. write in, and I will probably read it out. Right. So here we I'm, go. I'm sticking true to these go. guns. I am very interested. One of these kinds of goes along with what I was saying last week, kinda, and one of them goes along with what you were saying last week, kinda. Okay. About Bobby. That's perfect. So first of all. Daisy wrote in to say, Hi pals, I was cooking with your podcast on and my partner came in and said, This is much better than I thought it would be. Ah! <laughs> now, were they talking about Daisy's cooking? Or were they talking about the podcast? I don't know, but it's so nice to hear that somebody else's partner, besides what's his name and his wife, who doesn't like what I swear. <laughs> you, you still haven't remembered who that was? I can't remember. It's, 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 it's what's his name who has our cups. Anyway, Daisy wrote in, so let's let's okay, give let's, us the attention Daisy. that it deserves. Is Daisy the one who... who... <clears throat> well, I'm about to... Okay. If you can right. give me a minute. I bet she aligns with me. 
Daisy says, we are now listening together. So it was a podcast that her partner was talking about. And he has started watching Corey with me and he talks back to you a lot. (laughs) We agree that the show is pants at the moment. One thing I'd say that we disagree with you on is that I love Bobby. (gasps) I think he's a great addition to the show, although I agree with the constant addition of new characters is too much. And I also love that Bobby is a bit of a dick. It allows people depth. Like we don't have to like all disabled people just like we don't have to like all Canadians. <clears throat> Stephen. <laughs> I think it normalises disability in the show. It brings a great energy and some warmth. And I also laughed out loud a wee bit too much at what he said. He's cheeky and naughty and taking advantage. I don't. I didn't like the moment with Debbie, but then because she liked being called a cougar, I kind of liked it. Love as always, even when there's disagreement from Daisy. And now Rory. Oh, Rory. So. Like a Doctor Who. So Daisy was kind of echoing my thoughts yes i'm shocked um last week yes then cheeky wrote in i realize that i'm writing you uh for me what would be an unbelievable hour of 11 20 at night i'm running to you because i'm really upset about how they decided to go about depicting cerebral palsy as a person with that disability i am uniquely qualified to be absolutely disgusted at the portrayal of that disability by what could have been called a talented comedian Jack's portrayal of Bobby boils down to nothing more than a petty stereotype idea of what a person with a disability can achieve. Not only is that deeply disgusting for those of us who work very hard to achieve in life, but it's also very senseless on the part of the writers to go, yes, because he's a comedian, every joke should be about how his disability comes into play. Mm. For a lot of people like myself, we work very hard to make sure that our disability is not the first thing people think of. In fact, at my job, I spent so much time on my co-workers that they often forget that I'm physically challenged until somebody else pointed out to them. And I love that about my life. That's how they should be treating Bobby. Instead, they have him making jokes about sleeping on the sofa, and instead of going and getting dinner like his aunt asked him to, he's drinking and flirting with Debbie in the hotel, bringing all of his stuff from home, but never really saying thank you at any given point. I think it's official, and I've tried to be nice about it, but the current showrunner of Coronation Street needs to leave his post. Oh, and I can kind of agree with that as well. Mm-hmm. I do think that when you don't see yourself on screen, mm-hmm. when you then see yourself on screen and it's in Coronation Street, and mm-hmm. this is the only character that's like that, right? You know, it's it's a a far more important uh, correlation than. Every Gavin is a prick. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see very many Gavins, but when there's a Gavin, it's usually a prick. Yeah. And that does annoy me a, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So when it's something that's important, yeah, like ability, mm-hmm. then I can see why that would be even even more yes. upsetting. And if you have someone that's like Bobby, if there was lots of characters that had cerebral palsy on the mm-hmm. show and one of them was a dick, then that would be fair enough. But to have one on the show that's an asshole right i can understand why that would be irksome yeah and you know thinking about it honestly where do we see representations of cerebral palsy on television we have the sun in breaking bad and bobby right and that's it and that's first of all not enough and i think for a lot of other disabilities we have come a long long way you're seeing so many more deaf characters in movies and television you're seeing so many more blind characters on television and you're seeing so many more people in wheelchairs etc but you don't really see an awful lot of people with cerebral palsy 
I really think Breaking Bad did a really good job yeah. of that kind of better than Bobby. I will have to say, and I really should wait and, and say this later, but I, I didn't mind Bobby as much this week. So it does feel like maybe the introduction is just piling it on, piling it on, piling it on. And now yeah. they're going to start pulling back and make him and more three-dimensional. And I think that that's the point that I got to last week where it feels like it's okay for him to be a kind of cheeky chappy. It's a little bit more difficult when he's an asshole. All the time. But the most difficult bit of it, I imagine, is that he's an asshole who blames it on his disability. Right. And yeah. if, he, if he can cut that out, right. then I think, I think we've got a decent character there. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see how it goes, but... But anyway, thank you both uh, Absolutely. to Chiki and to Daisy for, for writing in on this subject. It's It was great to get two sides of it. Absolutely. And then friend of the podcast, Noel, wrote in to say, <laughs> the story so far, Daniel's a D and Bethany's a B, and moving forward shall be known as Deathany. I like what he's doing there. <laughs> Me too. Adam is getting over being bagged up and tossed in the van, but his hair is still traumatised. <laughs> the whole street almost drops the pall. I know it's not funny, but neither am I. Evelyn and Bernie will soon be cellmates, and they'll be smuggling in cardigans and magic rocks, which they'll be trading for ramen or a nice cup of tea. Damon's still sporting the jacket he's had since the 80s, and it's the only thing he won't give up for Sarah. Lastly, what about Bob? From an undisclosed location, Noel, known to my fellow hikers as Slippery Bog Bridge. Thank you very much as ever, Noel. <laughs> Feedback is always welcome. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out. Yes. Get us at the talk of the street gmail.com or our DMs are open at Cory Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee. Thanks to Canadian Helen this week. Thank you. Thank you, Canadian Helen, for your very, very generous donation to our coffee fund. Dear Helen and Gavin, she writes, wishing you both a happy Hogmanay. Yay! Hope you enjoy a couple of drinks on me to ring in the new year. Thank you so very much, Canadian Helen. The well, fortunately, our our local grocery store now stocks quite a few non-alcoholic beers for us yes. to, to try. So we have... We sampled... Uh, Non-alcoholic Stella Artois for the first time. Yeah, that was nice. It was very nice. I and then I got remember I got that uh, non-alcoholic German Christmas beer. That was nice. A bit too spicy. A bit too spicy for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too bit fu- too fruity. A bit too fruity. Yes. <laughs> the talk of street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTube's. But if you think a show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it. And if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. But remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Woo! Oh, what did you do during the break? I can't think of anything clever at the moment. I'm sorry. Well, I thought of something clever to say. Well, what did you think of? Oh, I'm not going to share it. I just thought of something to say. <laughs> now, did I put any jokes in this week? Let's find out together. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first story this week is Bethany's back. Guess who's back? Bitches. Back again. <laughs> Bethany's back. Tell a friend. Bethany's back, Bitches. 
Yeah. Going Stephanie, Hogmanay. Brittany, same thing. Work is underway at the Rovers to remove the boarding and get the place loaded with booze for the grand reopening tonight. Jenny is thrilled to get back in and Daisy reckons that they can get the place spick and span in no time. Glenda calls for some manly backup. But instead, it's Brian and David and Sean and Gary and Steve and Abby and Kev and some assorted others who are in to clean up and get the old picture of Betty back up. Right, yes. They say, Gary, you, you, you've had a hand at being a builder. Why don't you do the honours of hanging this picture back on a hook Abby, you've that's hung already a there? Before. That's already there. To be fair to him, he did a grand job. He did. But he didn't need to use his drill like he did to hang, the, <laughs> to hang the dartboard back up. That's the dartboard back up. That's the pool table out of the picture. <laughs> All of this is done to a backdrop of Happy New Year by ABBA, which will always remind me of Dim Sung now. Gemma and Glenda have the brilliant idea to make the reopening a bad taste slash dress up party. And their idea of bad taste is just clothes from the 80s? Yes. Daniel goes over to speak to Daisy and is instantly an asshole to her. He congratulates her on opening the pub. It could have been them if she hadn't slept with Ryan. Daisy, though, refuses to take all the blame, which she finds unbelievable, and so he storms out. Meanwhile, the party theme changes from bad taste to funky and groovy when it turns out that all the horrid clothes that they picked up from the charity shop were donated by Mary. Except for Daisy's. Daniel, well... Yes, I think that's safe to say. Yes. Daniel is walking home when a cab stops in front of him and he's shocked to see who gets out. Daisy finally gets dressed up for the night, not in something from Mary's old wardrobe, and tells Jenny about the running that she had with Daniel. The passing Glenda explains that he's obviously still smitten with her, so Jenny suggests that she goes round to his flat to surprise him. It could be a New Year love story for the grandchildren. So Daisy goes to Daniel's flat, but it's not Daniel who answers the door. It's fucking Bethany. In a towel. Wrapped in a towel. <laughs> expecting the pizza delivery guy. Who the fuck are you? Says Daisy. Who the fuck are you? Says Bethany. Meanwhile, Daniel Hefner slinks into view <laughs> with his necklace that's down to his nips and bare chested with an open dressing gown. Daisy throws her key at him in disgust and leaves. And as in the street, as 2024 arrives, a solitary tear rolls down Daisy's cheek. Hmm. Bethany's back. Comma, bitches. Yes. Well, I guess. I guess the thing that I found most believable about this was that Bethany didn't know who Daisy was. Right. That yeah. was believable. And it's believable that Daisy didn't know who Bethany was. Also believable. Yes. Yes. Everything else, not believable. Especially since we do see Daniel kind of staring at Daisy longingly. In the pub before he goes up and to speak to her and be a dick. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I think the reason why we don't see the conversation between Daniel and Bethany is because they couldn't think of dialogue that would believably lead to them immediately getting into bed with one another. There are no plausible words. There are none. That no. are going to make this situation happen within an hour. Yeah. Yeah, it happens very quickly, which, you know, is a ding on Daniel, obviously. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Hi, what are you doing here? Oh, I just got back from, from London because I had problems with my, my roommates. Oh, that's very interesting. Want a shag? Sure. Yay. Bethany, hi. What have you been doing for the last year? 
I've been watching porn. <laughs> Why don't we go up to your place and you can wink, make me a cup of coffee <laughs> and fix your plumbing or something. Or deliver and your pizza. Something to do with a photocopier. Reach it to this box. Aye. <laughs> uh, and, but it's also the fact that she goes to get pizza with a, with a towel wrapped around her. Right, yeah. Who does that? People in that London, that's who. I don't know. Okay, I've done it once. <laughs> I just don't, I, I just immediately just don't buy it. Right, and especially who opens the door to someone else's house wrapped in a towel? Yes, yes, exactly. This is not your house, Bethany. Why are you opening the door to someone else's house? You don't know who that is. It could be Ken. (laughs) Don't worry, Ken. You're going to find out all about this later. Right. Whether you want to or not. Oh, I don't know. They made this fairly large deal about her coming back right. and, and i was honestly kind of nonplussed about it i right. didn't really like bethany's character beforehand right. i was kind of glad when she left uh-huh. the good thing that happened when she left was she kind of made a fool of daniel a little bit and right then, and then off she went but he's used her right one when he was getting into practice for uh being bereaved right so yeah. while he's wife's dying over the road he's, right he's, he's kissing her so that's not a great position for her to be in no being, being kind of used like that right then he proposes to her but calls her Sinead right and then they, they drift apart and then right. come back within an hour he's sleeping with her and she's okay with that and right she's gone away to London and from London. all from all accounts and has had a very successful journalism career in that London. You know, she mentioned some things that to in- indicate that later, which makes her, which makes it unbelievable that later she's going to find out things that she's surprised by and had no idea happened. If she's a journalist. She would have known. She hasn't spoken to anyone on the street. Because yeah. she knows some things and she doesn't know other things. Right. Yeah, and she comes home on New Year's and not on Christmas. Who comes home to see their family on New Year's Eve? Oh, this happens Eve. all the time. This is when Peter famously came back. On New Year's Eve. Yeah, ju- sh- just as the bells were about to Yeah, to, to when ring. you should be out, you know, partying with your friends and stuff. I was thinking about this, like, yesterday and stuff. Because, you know, the, the kids came back, they flew back and... I'm thinking, you know, Benny is 17 and he spent New Year's Eve watching watching the ball drop with his dad and his sister. When I was 17, I was at Lupo's Heartbreak Hotel in Providence, Rhode Island, dancing my ass off and partying with my friends. That explains that tattoo then. <laughs> Man, generations are different. Yeah, 17 I was drunk. <laughs> and, and from... The ages of 17 probably to 45, I was probably drunk at New Year. Probably. Unless I was sick. Probably sick a couple of times. With drink, Sometimes probably. Sometimes sick and drunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. None of I this... Know, so anyway, they make this big deal about her coming back, and immediately, and I mean immediately, she arrives in one scene, 
The we first, don't see the, her. The first scene that we see her in, she's already in a love triangle. Right. The first scene we see her in, she's naked. I mean, let's give her something else to do before she does Daniel. Right. Yeah. Seriously. She had all that growth and put him in his place. And then the first thing she does when she comes back is put him in his place. What a waste. Seriously. Even, even, even if it's not Daniel, even if it's a character that I like. Mm-hmm. What an odd way to reintroduce a character. Yeah, and in a towel. It <sighs> feels like it's the 80s, doesn't it? It does. So New Year's Day, Daniel brings Bertie back to the flat to meet Bethany, who now has clothes on. <laughs> he's only temporarily home because he's getting handed off to Beth later, so Daniel wants to continue the shenanigans, but Bethany probably needs to go see her family. Yeah. Jenny's still working in the cabin, and Daisy explains to her what happened. On the bright side, Jenny says that they can move back into the pub uh, officially yeah. now. So that, that's yeah. a good thing that's happened. Well, and unless you consider the fact that they shouldn't own that place in the first place. That's Let's not mention that. Daniel hurries over to brag to his dad about fucking Bethany, claiming that he and Daisy have been over for ages. It's been two weeks. Seriously? What the hell is wrong with this guy? Ken advises him to get her name right this time. Well done, Ken. Yes. Well he tells done. Ken that Daisy saw him together, but not when they were fucking. But close enough. Sarah gets home with Harry when there's a call from the intercom, supposedly a meter reading, but it's not... It's fucking Bethany. Yes, with clothes on. She wanted to surprise him with clothes on. She'd moved out of her flat in London because her flatmates were horrible. Yes. Sure. She quickly changes the subject to Sarah and Adam being all lovey-dovey earlier that she saw. But as far as Sarah is concerned, all that's over with. So Bethany and Sarah drop in on number eight just as Sean and David are about to leave to the movies. Gail is appalled seeing that as Bethany's just back from London. London? London! Says Shona and they all laugh. And yes. then go to the fucking movies anyway. Well, Shona and Lily go to the movies. Poor David has to has to stay. And they're going to see Wonka. They are. So this broaches an interesting concept. If Wonka is a real thing in the Coronation Street in the universe. Coronation Street, yeah, in the Coronation Street universe. Does that mean Tim's dad has been reincarnated somehow? Or does he have a secret twin? Jan Bartholomew <laughs> from the Netherlands, yes, maybe. It's it's very you know staring into the matrix a little bit here with uh, with Tim's their fucking dad with their choice of movies that Shoda is dying to see. But here we do have, I think, finally, we've we suspected it with a Debbie, uh-huh. but we finally get the confirmation from Shona. That the show is now in on this gag. Yes. And it now feels it now feels that I should stop collecting London's because it feels kinda done now. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 like when your history teacher starts using your language. It's now I know how Oppenheimer felt. <laughs> it's the creation has become bigger than the creator. Hmm. Yes. All I was doing was collecting London's just for my own personal use. and Which is exactly like an atomic bomb. Right. Yeah. But then it's kind of grown and been seen by millions of people and been referenced by the show itself. Yes. And I kind of met a moment where they both kind of... Look at each other and, and laugh. laugh. 
I mean, short of Shona winking at the camera. Right. I don't think it could have been much or, more or of a holding up tip. a little side saying, this one's for you, Helen and Gav. Right. This one's for you. So, yeah, so now that, that feels like it's done. It does. <laughs> oh, well. It only took three years. So, as the plots are, I don't know, walking to the movies, they walk by Daisy and Jenny moving back into the rovers. Daisy sees the girl and Jenny is able to confirm that that's Bethany and then shouts, Bethany slept with Daniel last night. <laughs> really Daniel, loud. Daniel appears because there's a chance for some more bragging here while Daisy and Bethany have a bit of a slagging match, so-called because Daisy calls Bethany a slag. Sarah is upset that Bethany got home yesterday and didn't say something and Daniel is upset at Daisy's hypocrisy given that she lifted tail for Ryan. Right, and, and David finds it all hilarious. <laughs> Doesn't he? call him buster or something yeah hey you got some explaining to do buster and i expected daniel to just like walk backwards into his door like homer simpson into a bush didn't do it the plants go to speed dial or and shona goes to the movies anyway Mm -hmm. gail tries to skim over it brian comes over to congratulate bethany on the quality of her articles and bethany is rude as fuck and does an impression of one of those chinese eye clocks and then turns on sarah for getting her hole off of damon sarah's heard enough and leaves Back in the rovers, Daisy regrets shaming Bethany. Jenny tells her to go see Daniel and tell him the truth over what she feels. Be the bigger person, or at least help her clean the crockery. Whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Daniel goes back to brag to his dad about the two women fighting over him in the street. Seriously? What's this guy doing? Why are you telling Ken that he's an old man? Leave him alone. <laughs> well... It's not like Ken hasn't been in this situation himself before, so maybe it's Daniel trying to get some advice or bond with his father it's over finding being a, connection. That's a horrible, horrible person to be in a relationship in. And plus it's his birthday, so he gets to right, do yeah. this, I guess, on his birthday. And then he gets a text from Bethany asking to hook up again. And number eight, Sarah returns with the discussion being where Bethany can stay. Sarah says that she can stay with her and Harry and they make their peace with each other. Sarah talks about a pamper night but Bethany plans to go off to get her hole later so gives her mum a rain check on that Daniel goes home to see Daisy waiting for him outside she wants to apologise for earlier but then Bethany comes round the corner and Daniel quickly ushers her up to make herself at home and naked remember the sex cardigan says Daisy and she leaves them to it (laughs) in the flat Daniel and Bethany agree that they've had enough of complicated situations and they drink to it Daniel nips off for a shite which allows Bethany to make a mysterious call to someone begging for a second chance and to be listened to whoever it is wisely i think hangs up yeah so so there's a there mystery there's, with there's Bethany. The mystery, right so on tuesday daisy is disappointed that the rovers is already running as it once did which wasn't successfully jenny thinks this is about daniel and bethany but she insists that she wants to make the place a success jenny poo-poos daisy's ideas for giving booze away and then nips off to get some new cutlery which daisy doesn't think it's a great idea either Bethany arrives at the Rovers and has some very low-key aggressive banter with Daisy. No one is a winner in this situation, but what the fuck does Bethany have round her neck? She looks like Mr. T. She pities the fool. Daisy ignores her and writes up an ad to give away a pint with a hot pot. Six seventy-five or something for a hot yeah. pot, get a free pint. That's ridiculously low. Jenny said... She's not going to lose any money. Jenny said, don't do this. Right, and Daisy, she did anyway. Because Daisy is also an owner and is wanting to throw her weight around a little bit. Right. George and Todd are enticed by the hot pot offer, which Daisy takes as proof of success. 
Bethany comes over to say hello to Todd, which allows her and Daisy to snark at each other again, and this is already getting dull. Yeah. Later, Daisy asks if Todd and George want another drink, but it's lunchtime and they're all done, which is exactly what Jenny predicted would happen. Right. All that they've been able to do is give away free drink. Yeah. Jenny comes back and is upset to see Daisy's sign. Daisy says it was a success, but Jenny knows that everyone who had the offer would have had hot pot anyway and left after one pint. She reads Daisy the Riot Act, which Bethany gleefully enjoys witnessing. Yes. Then on Wednesday, Daniel is wandering around with his dressing gown open again, like his Hugh Hefner. He's awful since he started getting his hole off of Bethany. Oh no, today's his birthday and he's going to see Ken. Understandably, she has other things to do. So Daniel meets Ken in the pub to tell him how much shagging he's been doing with Bethany lately. And this to, to Ken, just help the aged here, somebody. <laughs> Can you imagine talking to your dad about how much sex you're getting? No. Can you? With my dad? No. No, my mom maybe. Oh, women are funny like that. Though, we they? are. We talk about boobs and stuff all the time. Well, talk about boobs and my dad, sure. <laughs> I'm only human. Daniel thinks that the time apart has been good for them and he has moved on from Daisy, who he calls a blip. Right. Again, it's a, been two a, weeks. A, a blip that you were with for over a year... Who you were engaged to and, had it and not was going been... to get married to. And if it hadn't been for the acid attack and then Ryan, you'd be married already by now. Right. What comes, a dick. Bethany comes back from some unsuccessful flat hunting and she suggests going out to celebrate his birthday. She wants to go to the Rovers. He'd rather avoid Daisy and gives Bethany a condensed version of their story. But he misses the bit where he turned her breast cancer scare into a Daniel thing. Right, yeah. So Bethany and Daniel go to the rovers anyway. Daniel hopes Daisy doesn't think he's rubbing uh, her nose in it and he thinks that she's making things difficult. Daisy says she can do civil, especially as it's his birthday. And that's as far as we get with that. And he's such a dick about it too because he goes up and she says, what are you having? A very, in a very civil way. She, she doesn't say anything to him except, what are you having? And what he says in response is, look, this is ridiculous. You're being a bitch and we can, you need to learn how to be civil. This is my local. I, I deserve to drink here. Right. So you just have to get over yourself. All she said was, what are you having? Right. When you're drinking. What? That's my belly. <laughs> was that your belly? That was my belly. <laughs> it was singing. Mm-hmm. And Chinese. <laughs> Ah, Chinese food. That's why it's singing Chinese. Right, you're not being racist. No. No. Uh, not there. It's like, can he be more obnoxious? I don't think so. But I imagine he will become more obnoxious as this whole thing with Bethany goes on. It's like the, he's responding to a line that the writers didn't write. Right, yeah. It's like they have Daisy saying... What you drinking, your twat? Right. Wait a minute. Why are you being so nasty? It's like her I'm voice for is a drink. so even. It's and it's that evenness that upsets them. Yeah. It's the yeah. fact that that she's given nothing away when she says right. that. Right. Yeah. That's what irks them about it. Yeah. Yeah, because he's had this, he's had this whole speech planned in his head, mm-hmm. and he was going to say it, even if it's not appropriate. <laughs> even if it's apropos of nothing, right. he's going to say yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and then and then she and then she turns around and says, "No, he's right. We can be civil. You are already civil." Mm. God, I hate him. <laughs> She's given him that just because it's his birthday, right? And that's it. Sure. I, I don't know how much energy I feel I can muster for this triangle, where the. I don't know. There are people who think that Daniel's a catch, and that's that's fair enough. I'm not talking about the um, attractiveness of him from a, a aesthetic point of view, right? Yeah. But his attractiveness as a as a human being is pretty low. Yeah, yeah. Because he's he's pretty to look at, but then he opens his mouth, and they've deliberately done it. Yeah. That way. Yeah. That he has this obnoxiously. Uh, superior and condescending sort of character. Especially to women. So to have two beautiful women after him. Who are both fairly strong characters, you know? Bethany's stronger now that she's come back, I think. Right, yeah. But when she left, she was pretty strong because she put him in his place and everything. And she's like, I'm going off to see the world and become a journalist and leave all you people behind. And Daisy does not need Daniel, which she's proven throughout the, her relationship with Daniel, where she has been in distress and he has made it all about him. Mm-hmm. It happened with the breast cancer. It happened with the acid attack. So it's just, it's like, look at us. We write strong female characters. All of our female characters are so, so very strong. And yet they also allow men like Daniel to treat them horribly. Yeah, and to manipulate them. Right. And to be condescending to them, even behind their backs. Because even on day one, after uh, their initial shagging, he's he's condescending to her, and she's she snaps back at him and says, well, you, you know what I meant, because uh-huh. he picks up on something that she says. But that's that's what he does. Yeah. That's what you're getting into. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I, think, I think Bethany's return... Deserved better, and and they're putting so much stock into this and, being a thing. And also, do we need another storyline about a love triangle? Well, we've got. We're about to speak we've, about another one. We've we've already had the Nina and Asha thing with Asha's coworker. Right. We had. Um. Oh God! What was the other love triangle that we had? Where it's like it's not really a love triangle because. Only, only two people. Oh, um, racist Kelly and Sabrina and Max. Yep. Love triangle. Do we need another one? We're about to talk about another one. Enough with the love triangles because it, it's not a great story. It's, it's seems boring. Like every triangle really is a love triangle if you love triangles. Okay, Caster, keep going. Let's move on into that love triangle story which I'm calling Big Bag of Adam. <laughs> Hogmanay, Adam returns Harry to Sarah's. She's ready for a New Year's night out, which Adam thinks looks like she's going out on a hot date. And while that's none of his business, he's quick to point out that he's meeting someone too. And as he goes, Gail tells us all that she's only going out with Carla. But it was nice how they were interacting with each other. Right, it was very yeah. civil, very was polite. very civil and very nice polite. Nice to see you again, Gail. Yeah, yeah, it's very sweet. And, you know, just because it's Carla doesn't mean that it can't necessarily not be romantic. That would be a storyline I would be into. 
you know, there was a, a thing posted on Twitter, and I wish I could remember who posted it, but they, mm-hmm. they posted it from somewhere else. But it was basically an interview with Sam Robertson who said that uh, initially they were going to make Adam's character bisexual. Uh-huh. And he was totally up for doing that. Right. But they didn't do it because it was going to be too much like the Todd storyline. So Todd's that, gay. He's not bisexual. So, well, he'd, he'd been with Sarah. Oh, okay, fine. So, it is now impossible not to think about what could have happened with this Adam character and how much more interesting it could have been right? had they made him bisexual. Right, because then he would have been a Lothario on both sides of the fence. Yes, he would have been. And uh-huh. that would have been cool. And then we saw, turns out Daniel is Adam's date, but he pulls out because he has to go and see Daisy. But not like that! Sarah's there and is gleeful that Adam's date was with a member of his family. But then Carla appears and she pulls out of their date because Bobby is an asshole. But Adam, I like that. Adam and Sarah choose to find us amusing and agree to have a New Year drink together because that could have gone right. a, a very, that could have gone a worse way right. than, than it did. And at least it's significantly less creepy for Sarah and Carla because can you imagine if Adam and Daniel were shagging? That would be creepy. No, no, that's... That's so no, creepy. No, 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 no. Uncle and nephew. No. Later, a hen party has turned up and Adam is clearly having a hard time with the noise. He and Sarah reminisce about their own wedding. He's just like me. And she admits that she's unhappy, but he's but she's also not blameless. She suggests that they go outside away from the noise to talk. And outside, Adam reveals that he's having another panic attack, but this time without fancy camera work. She tells him she'll always help him if he needs it. And they're about to kiss, but the moment passes when a topless Steve falls out with the rovers. <laughs> and then she goes home to relieve Gail from Harry and his festive soft play. <laughs> What was with all of the chests nobody asked for this week? I can handle Steve's. <laughs> New Year's Day then, Adam meets Sarah outside in the rolls and they're the friendless have been for ages. She's concerned about his panic attack and he promises to see the doctor if it happens again. In Nina's rolls, Adam and Daniel are chatting about this improved status with Sarah. Toya passes and is concerned if Adam is okay after last night, so he has to admit to Daniel that he had another panic attack in the bistro. He blames the noise from the Hindu. And Daniel makes another argument for going to see a doctor. In the pub, Adam meets Sarah for the hair of the dog, which is keeping Jenny in business. Adam has a client to meet today, so he can't stay long, which is funny because it's New Year's Day. Right. Sarah makes another plea from speaking to someone about his panic attacks, which looks likely to trigger another one in him. Adam leaves for his meeting and Sarah walks him as far as number eight. In a bush, Damon is hanging out and jealously <laughs> watches him hug like a right fucking midnight creeper. And then he's on the phone to a heavy... Mm. Adam's client is a no-show later So while he's wandering home Surprise, surprise He's on the phone leaving a message for Sarah As he walks by a suspicious black van With suspicious heavies dressed in black coming out of it As soon as his call is finished The heavies grab Adam and throw him into the back of the van And he's driven to the bit of waste ground Where Spider and Toya were held at gunpoint earlier last year And that's when Damon shows up Right It's gunpoint docks Right In Manchester And also where Stephen hit Tib over the head. We are joined about that yeah, area as well. Yes, <laughs> That's also where um, ITV Corey and his gang were hanging out at the bonfire and saying nasty things to Nina and, and Summer and Seb. Yes. And then Seb and Nina walked away and then bad things happened. They kicked Seb to death. Yes. Back and almost street. Nina. Mm. Damon catches up with Sarah. He's been waiting for this moment for a long time. She has nothing to say to him, though, and tells him to leave her alone. He says it was Adam who made him leave. 
Sarah doesn't care. She has other things to worry about. In the flat, Sarah can't get a minute without Damon hitting the intercom. He has to come up to speak with her. He reminds her of him opening his heart to her in a voicemail. But she says that she didn't get a voicemail. And they both come to the conclusion, the correct conclusion, that Adam deleted it. So she buzzes him up. Once up, he asks what happened to split her and Adam up. And without missing a beat, she tells him that she miscarried Damon's baby. Damon's mouth drops open for a very, very long time. And his eyes kind of bug out a little bit too. It's like... He looks like a cartoon character. What noise does he make though? <laughs> I can't do that again. No. She explains that she let Adam think it was his because that's what she wanted it to be. Not that any of this matters anymore. Damon thinks Adam is the reason why Sarah lost the baby and he wants to try again. And she knocks that idea away immediately. He tells her that he loves her. Yeah, she says. And he leaves in a bit of a quiet rage, phoning his heavies to let them know that he's on his way to kill Adam Barlow. Yes. So Damon arrives at gunpoint docks to find Adam with a bag over his head in full panic mode. He begs that whoever is holding him tells Harry that he loves him and apologises to Sarah for the baby and everything. And this gets Damon in feels and he quietly orders that Adam is instead let go. Now it was hilarious too because as Damon's walking up the heavy say he's having a panic attack or something. Right. Like they would care. Right. Or like they would know necessarily. And it doesn't really seem like he's having a panic attack. He's, there's no heavy breathing. There's no freaking out. It's just... Well, it's hard to tell because he's got a bag over his head. Tell Sarah I love her! And also... But in a Scottish accent. <laughs> yes. And also... And also Harry. My well, boy Harry, he says. So anyway, he's let go. And luckily for Adam, Gunpoint Docks is just round the corner from the police station. So he goes round on foot to report his kidnapping and says that he knows who was behind it. Right, and you know he's telling the truth because his hair is atrocious. <laughs> Later, the cops drop Adam back on the street just as Damon heads for a kebab. Adam accuses him of kidnapping attempted murder. Good luck proving it, says Damon, and he goes for his kebab. Adam tells Daniel that he got rid of Damon once. He can do it again. Sure. Well, this is New Year's Day that is happening. Right. Yeah, so he was kidnapped for what, five hours? Maybe an hour and a half. <laughs> On Tuesday, Adam is trying to get in touch with Sarah to explain about his running with Damon. Steve knows about his abduction via Amy, Tracy, Ken and then Daniel. They see Damon coming and quickly hide round the corner as Adam calls the cops to warn him of Damon's whereabouts. He's in the bistro. At the bistro, Nick and Leanne are full of the joys until they see Damon. He wants his investment back and needs to get it back to get on his feet, which would mean that they are done with him forever. Before this goes anywhere, though, PC Tinker arrives looking for a word with Damon. Nick and Leanne are happy for the police to interview a gangster in the restaurant area of the bistro. Tinker takes Damon's phone from him and says it'll be in touch. I don't know how, because he's got his phone. Right. Adam, who doesn't work at the factory, meanwhile, is at the factory looking for Sarah, who's in a meeting with another important client. She leaves the meeting and Adam is frantic as he explains what happened yesterday. Sarah seems oddly nonplussed that Adam was kidnapped and held at gunpoint. Right, down she gunpoint doubts docks. his story. And it's Adam, like, check your voicemail, girl. Adam practically shits his New Year breeks as Tinker comes in looking for a word with Sarah, who presumably is Damon's alibi. Interview over, Tinker fobs off Adam and promises to be in touch. Adam still wants to know what this has to do with Sarah, so she explains that she's Damon's alibi. She confirms that it's true, and Adam does not look like he's about to take this well. Right, and the way she confirms it, it's like she's wording it exactly so that it will hurt Adam the most. Because she, she's like, 
Yes, it's true. I was with him during this time. She doesn't say he kept dinging the bell, so I had to let him up eventually, and I kicked him back out almost immediately. She doesn't tell him what actually happened. No. She just says, yes, it's true. I was with him during this time. And that's it. Yeah. What? You think she's been used. She doesn't know what Adam expects her to do. She told Tinker the truth. Adam tells her that he can live with them being over. He's the one filing for divorce, remember. But he can't deal with her being with Damon. He's dangerous and people hide round the corner when they see him coming. They sometimes even drop a knee as they go around the corner. Right. Just to make it look that they're slinking around the corner even more. Right. Damon drops into the rovers and asks Ed if he wants to do a pub refurb for his... Uh, Damon drops into the rovers and asks Ed if he wants to do a pub refurbishment for him. Ed agrees but won't do it on tick, so Damon promises to be in touch once he gets the bistro money. Adam runs into Bethany in the rovers and tries to enlist her into the anti-Damon camp. Bethany understandably wants fuck all to do with this. Meanwhile, Damon has gone to see Harvey in the nick. Harvey recounts the time he got beaten up on Damon's word and he's already caught wind of Damon bottling out of executing Adam Barlow down on gunpoint docks. Damon plays dumb. Meanwhile, Harvey has a business opportunity. He's robbing a security van. He's got an old mate of Damon's involved, a guy who apparently threw Damon out of a window once. I thought that was their dad. Was it? That's what I'm assuming. Oh, fair enough. Do the job and we're quits for the beating. Otherwise, sleep with one eye open, sucker. Which he probably was already doing. Damon refuses and leaves. In the office, Nick is in tears as he suggests handing the money back to Damon. <laughs> Leanne isn't sure, and Nick is desperate to cut all ties, especially if he really did threaten Adam. And Leanne now agrees, just to stop Nick's waterworks. <laughs> so Adam goes to the cop shop to speak with Tinker, who says that Damon's alibi is rock solid, and his phone records are clear. Adam reckons that you should swap uniforms with Tinker, which probably would have some merit, as at least Adam knows what a burner phone is. <laughs> Tinker seems confused by the concept. Right, yes. Although, I'm trying really hard to imagine Craig in a wig and a black robe in front of a judge. I, I just, I can't picture it. No. It's impossible. In the pub later, no one has asked Nick to back Adam, but back Adam he does as he quite believes that Damon could have had uh, something to do with Adam's kidnapping. Although, when you think about it, no one apart from Adam seems to give a fuck that he was kidnapped. No one cares. No, because it only happened for an hour and a half. It's still kidnapping. It was still at gunpoint. He's alive. Although, then, he, although he didn't see the gun, he just heard the gun. Right. Yeah, which is enough. If, you hear a, if, if somebody has put a bag over your head and shoved you in a van... I think hearing a gun is enough to th to imagine sure. that you're being held at gunpoint. Nobody cares about this, though, apart no. from Adam. No, and and Nick, a little, I guess. See, see, there thinks it could have been any one of Adam's disgruntled clients. <laughs> Bethany, big brain, realises that Sarah still likes Damon, and she admits she'll be sad if Nick pays him off and he leaves. Later at the bistro, Adam is still going on about the kidnapping. Leanne tells him that they're going to pay Damon off to get rid of him. Adam doesn't know what Sarah sees in him, but according to Nick, Sarah's smitten. And Leanne at least looks a little bit concerned. Right, and disgusted. Damon goes to see Sarah and explains about his meeting with Harvey and how he's rejected that life. She wants to know what happened with Adam's kidnapping, and he plays innocent. She doesn't buy it, and so he admits it. But it's not like anyone was really executed gangland style down at gunpoint docks. 
Damon says that she's the reason he changed. She's what's made him turn his life around. Sarah doesn't care and throws him out. Right. She's like, is is that supposed to make me feel better? <laughs> right. But still, she doesn't really care. Now she has confirmation that Adam right. was kidnapped. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, right. somebody's got to be kidnapped, right? Right. And, you know, she keeps telling people that she's still really into Damon. But every time she's with Damon, it doesn't seem like she's really into him at all. She keeps kicking him out. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Sarah, remember, a few years ago, wanted nothing to do with Gary because he was a bit of a supposed gangster and wheeler right. and dealer and stuff, and the hard man, right. and the big bad. Right. And so she went off with Adam, who was the sensible choice. Right. And now she wants nothing to do with the sensible choice, and is flirting with the idea of going out with a guy who's the gangster and the hard right. man, only this time it's Damon. Right. <laughs> now, is it a case of make your mind up, girl, or is it a case of the writers don't know Sarah's personality? Yeah. And, or age, for that matter. Because... She's 40 now. She's 40. She's 40. And she's acting like she's 22. With this whole titillation about the bad guy sort of thing. And the being, like, confused about how she's feeling about a bad guy. Mm -hmm. You know, at 40, you should know better. And she's got... A child to think about right. as well. And yes. You've got a small wee boy. Look what happened to Jacob, Damon's actual son. Right. Do you want wee soft play to grow up into that? And she said that she doesn't want that. Right. So why Even though why could, would you be attracted to that? Even though they could do a lot worse than Jacob. That's true. Jacob Jacob is the only member of this family who actually has turned his life around. Bring him back. Right. Yeah, I hope they do. Get him to shag Daniel. Har <laughs> Harvey mentions him, so that gives me hope that maybe we're going to get yeah, him back. Yeah, they've not forgotten about him. On Wednesday, Damon comes into Nina's roles, is ignored by Sarah, and then gets a threatening text from Harvey. Damon finds Ed in the Rovers. He's going all in on that pub thing and wants Ed to get it done for him. Ed agrees in the shake, which Dee Dee sees and is shocked by. She tells Ed what she knows about Damon and what Adam suspects and asks that he stays away. So later, Damon and Ed meet in Nina's roles, and Ed pulls out of the agreement. Damon realizes like realizes that Dee Dee is part of this and understands. It's not just that, but everything Ed does needs to be on the up and up. He says, and he wishes Damon luck. Damon gives him the sob story about turning his life around, and I think more to get him to shut up than anything else. Ed changes his mind again and agrees to help. Right, and also because Ed is in a certain place in his life where he needs to turn his life around. And get people back on his side. Indeed. So he can relate. And the rovers later, Sarah overhears Ed and Dee Dee talking about Damon and how Ed has accepted the work after all. And he's gone to look at the pub and talk to Damon's mates. And he believes Damon when he says that he wants to turn his life around. And that's as far right, as we get yeah. with that this week. And it's like, Ed, you, you know, this is not the way to get yourself back in your daughter's good books. Dee Dee, who has actually dated Damon, let's not forget. Oh, very briefly. Right? Yeah. Very briefly. Right, yeah. But that gives her an idea of what a slime ball he can be. Why does nobody care about Adam anymore? <laughs> well, remember when he was thrown off a balcony? Nobody really cared then either. And he's uh, medically induced coma? Right, yeah. It's got to be a medically induced coma, right? Of course. Do you see a future for... I mean, this is the... the 
this is the third. This is the other love triangle that we've been talking about. Yeah. And again, and, and again, is this interesting? Do we have we've a triangle already, of love triangles? We already. Is that a pyramid? Right, and we we've already had this love triangle. This has already happened. Do we need to bring it back? What is the point of bringing it back? She says it's over between her and Adam. She right. says She says that that's done. Yeah. That there's no going back. And he seems, he initially seemed to be like there's no going back, but then he seemed a little upset that there's no going back. That Hogmanay looked very much like they were about to smooch. Right. And if they were about to smooch, you know how that's going to end up. Yeah. It's, yeah, in a towel, towel opening the, the door guy. for the pizza guy. Mm. <laughs> it can only end that way. Right. Reach into my box. No anchovies, please. <laughs> you love anchovies. I do. I really do. <laughs> the more the merrier. Very salty, though. Yeah. You happy that Damon's back? You're quite a fan. I I like the actor. I still think he would make a great Wolverine in the MCU, but never mind. <laughs> um, and he's already got the jacket he's for it. He's got the jacket for it. He's got the jacket for it. It's like he's... He sub- can either be Wolverine or a football commentator. He, he's subliminally reaching out to Kevin Feige and saying, cast me as your Wolverine. I, I feel like... I feel like... Chicken tonight. I, I, I feel the same way I feel about the whole Bethany thing. It's like you bring these characters back just to do the same things, same things we've already seen them do over and yes. over and over again. Yes. Let's give them something new and interesting to do. And I don't think opening up another pub is that interesting thing. No, I also buying don't, the Rovers might have been that interesting. Right. Thing. Yeah. And I also don't think that knocking off a security truck is that interesting thing because that's like the stupidest thing in the world to do. Oh, for goodness sake. It's like the one of the hardest things to rob because it's on wheels and it's locked up tight. What are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to, I don't know, create a, a block in the road don't to tell stop people it? How, don't tell people how to rob a security van. How are you going to get it unlocked, dumbass? With a with a, the driver. The driver has a gun. Not the, in the UK, he doesn't. The driver has a gun. Not in the UK, he doesn't. How do you know? Because he doesn't. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it would be more likely that a driver of a security truck has a gun than a cop in the UK has a gun. Where's, where's the security guard getting a license for a gun? It's it's money. He's people, still got a gun. People protect money more Get than this, they correct people. Believe nothing else, but believe this. He's not got a gun. I've seen how many guns are in this show. I don't believe you at all. It's it's the same gun <laughs> that just gets recycled. No, because it was dripping wet. Because Harvey's floating gun was bigger than than Damon's little gun that he was going to kill Adam with. And that's not a euphemism. <laughs> that's what she said. Oh well, let's move oh, well. on to Do you want to bet? On Hogmanay and Nina Rose, Didi wants to get everyone together to, to talk through the family problems. Ed thinks it's too soon, especially for Michael. But Didi reckons that she can be persuasive. 
But the builder's yard, Ronnie is still worried that Didi is going to grass him up until Ed explains. Ronnie is still furious. He doesn't want the money back that Ed took, but he won't get a share of the profits from the development, and he declares a partnership over, which kind of seems fair. In the rovers, Didi has not been able to move Michael, and now even Ronnie has cut him off. Ed, that is. Yes. Didi tells him that one person got him into this mess. That person needs to get him out. So New Year's Day, Gary is in Nina Rose and sees Ed and they chat excitedly about power tools as Dee Dee comes in. Ed tells her that he's heading for another meeting, a Gambler's Anonymous meeting. Nice. And she reminds him that she's here for him. He promises to fix everything, which I think is half the problem. Right, Promises yeah. to fix things. Yes. At the Baileys, Dee Dee comes home to find Sarge and Michael finishing Clash of the Titans. Sarge goes in to the get dark. packing while Dee Dee explains how Ed is doing. Michael does not give a solitary fuck and insists that he's not welcome no more in this house. Now, is there anybody who starred in Clash of the Titans who are also on Coronation Street? Before Sarge leaves, he visits Ed in the builder's yard. He thinks it's a shame he's having to sell up and he apologises for being harsh with him. He says that Ed is a much better father than he ever was and tells him not to give up on Michael just yet. They hug and Sarge leaves, telling Ed that he has faith in him. Which is a shame because I, I... Sarge is not a bad character. I wish he would stay. He's been given nothing to do. Except watch all Clash of the Titans. All he's done is kind of narc a little bit at Ed. Right, and flirt with waitresses. And that's it. I don't think we've seen the last of him. No. But this little stint has been a wasted opportunity. Yes. Gary wanders by the builder's yard later to find Ed in a reflective mood. Ed jokingly suggests that Gary buys the yard and he'll work for him. But Gary gives it serious thought. Yes. And asks for a little time to mull it over. He's been looking for something new. Right, yeah. Selling used furniture is no longer enough for him. Yep. Been there, done that. Yeah. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. I am so into the idea of Gary buying the builder's yard. Yeah. I saw it coming when they were both admiring Ed's tool. Yes. <laughs> Which is not a euphemism. You feeling all right tonight? Yeah. <laughs> Should I be worried? We'll talk about it later. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, so this was just a kind of... Didn't really nudge much forward in no. this storyline from this point of view. We did get a little bit in the, the previous story about, right. about Damon's uh, work. But uh, again, it really just seemed to be a, a farewell to Sarge, mm-hmm. almost. And yeah. The idea of Gary and Ed working together is intriguing to me, and I want to see it. They've worked together before. Yes. Yes. But not with Gary as the boss. Right. So I find this very interesting. And I like the idea of Gary getting back into back into this sort of work. Because we haven't seen his his shop for a long time. We no. assume it still exists, but we haven't seen it. No. He needs something else to do and needs right. another storyline. So yeah. yeah. Very much B- looking Besides to being, you know, the very supportive husband of Maria and very supportive dad of those two guys, Liam and the other one. Does it begin with a J? Probably. <laughs> and then thinking that he's doing a great job parenting when he ha- when he gives a bully a talking to. God, I am so happy they haven't come back to that storyline yet. Oh, you're tempting fate because the schools are back next week, so... I expect to see some more of that. Right. But isn't it unrealistic, the fact that somehow over the holidays, the bully just disappears from the street? Yep. Yeah, sure. He should be hanging out with Sean even more. 
with Not Sean. Sean. Dylan. Yeah. You should be hanging out with Dylan more. Right. We haven't seen much even of Sean this Christmas. So That's a present to all of us. <laughs> Moving on, the next storyline is Bobby Dazzler. On Hogmanay, at the flat, it seems that Bobby has spoiled Carla's plans by demanding her help, but it turns out that he just needed help finding the ketchup. He's been raiding Carla's booze too, so she's had enough and decides to get him a fucking job. If he annoys her, she's going to annoy him. So Carla drags Bobby to the factory where he's impressed by all the knickers that he'd like to see on his bedroom floor. Classic. She wants to give him something to do and he reckons that with his gift of the gab, he should be on the sales team. Inexplicably, Carla goes for it and gives him a trial. And that's all that happens there. Yeah, and I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. You know, because he seems, he seems keen to you know, for this trial, he seems kind of happy about it. Mm-hmm. And none of his jokes were about his cerebral palsy. Right. So this is what this is. This I is think good. What we find acceptable. This is, this is progress. And I'm, I'm actually kind of intrigued to see him interact with the knicker people, especially Izzy. Now the knicker people are a very close knit community. They are. They don't accept outsiders easily. Look yeah. how long it took Michael to be accepted. Yeah, there are. They're a very introverted race, yes. the Knicker people. So it'll well, be interesting to see. And Sean. <laughs> and Sally. But apart from them, it'll be interesting to see what they make of Bobby. Yeah. I reckon Sally's going to like him. You think so? Yeah. This is his jokes about wanting to see women's panties under his bed. I think he'll temper that in front of Sally. Do you? In front of the older woman. Yep. Because he doesn't temper it in front of his actual aunt. No, his Auntie C. Yeah. Don't like that. You don't like Auntie C? Her name's Carla, use it. I just, I, this was like one, one week where I actually expected Carla to walk into a room with Bobby in it and say, all right, Bob Eggs. All right, Bob Eggs. <laughs> Indeed. All right, Bob Eggs. What's this? What's with this? What's with you drinking half my wine, Bob Eggs? Sadly, that didn't happen. No. But thank you for reminding me of the all right ball bags thing. That's exactly what I'm needing after I've just lost London. <laughs> Moving on then, our next storyline is Porsche scratchings. Oh, I like that. Really? Porsche scratchings. Really? You gave me such a hard time about the family tree and you're going with Porsche scratchings? Because it's not pork scratchings. No, no, I get it. And the Porsche was scratched. Yeah, no, I get it. It's perfect. It's not. On Tuesday at the garage, as Cassie's laughing at Kev's jokes, Abby wants to chase Too up much. the body shop that'll fix the Porsche. She just wants it fixed as soon as possible. Kev says it's penciled in for next week. Cassie looks suspicious as fuck. And later, Kev is still telling jokes at Cassie when Mr. Lee, the guy who owns the Porsche, arrives to pick the car up. Cassie claims that she must have called him by accident, but he is not happy when he sees the gouge out of the back panel. Cassie promises it'll be fixed by tomorrow. It better had, says Mr. Lee, or my lawyers will be involved. Abby tears a strip off Cassie for giving an unrealistic timescale and for calling the guy in the first place. Right. Cassie could not give a fuck. Right. She's like, it was an accident. So rather than blame Cassie for calling the prick in the first place, Kev decides to blame Abby, who had already blamed and forgave earlier. Right. Kev tries one last number to take a look at the post before Husband tomorrow. Husband of the year. And success. He's found a place. Cassie offers to take the car, but Abby insists that she will take care of it. 
So later, Cassie has finished in voices. She apologises for that business with Mr. Lee. Then Jack comes along, being busy in his mid-twenties and looking totally like a mini-kev. Cassie is smitten by the pair of them. You know, I made that joke on Twitter about Kev now being in his mid-twenties and the number of people who told me that he was just 13. Whoosh! Right over the heads. Yep. Abby gets back late at night with a Porsche and sees Roy walking Freddy. And I was like, oh, thank goodness for this. She explains about the late night body job to fix a scratch that she can't remember causing, but reckons it must have been her fault. Roy is obviously suspicious, but says nothing. But on Wednesday, Nina rolls. He approaches Cassie about the scratch on the Porsche and she comes clean that she was responsible. He tells her to tell Abby, so Cassie is guilted into agreeing. So she goes to the garage with some apology biscuits and is about to take responsibility, but we're only 10 minutes into the episode, so it obviously can't happen this soon, so she changes her mind at the last minute. For her deceit, Kev offers her a permanent position. Cassie gives him a hug and a quick blowy. This is news to Abby. Right, yes, yes. News to Abby that they talked it over, mm-hmm. apparently. I thought she was already kind of permanent yeah, anyway. Pretty much. Mr. Lee arrives to pick up his car and he refuses to pay his bill. Kev and Cassie are furious at not getting paid for their work and Kev tells him to go fuck himself. Cassie looks very guilty but keeps her mouth shut. So Kev is once again angry at Abby again for the Porsche malarkey. She would rather that if he accepted her apology then he should accept it and not keep casting it up and it makes matter worse that he's all sweetness and light with Cassie. So she storms off. And then rolls, Abby is down in the dumps and she speaks to Roy whose conscience gets the better of him and he tells Abby what actually happened. Right, and what's hilarious is he's like, I'm going to tell you something <laughs> but you got to promise me you're going to stay very, very calm mm-hmm. because Roy knows Abby. <laughs> yes. So Abby storms to the garage to shout at Kev for not believing her and Cassie for scratching the car in the first place. Cassie never planned on blaming Abby, but didn't want to lose her job. She couldn't face the fallout. Abby isn't in the mood for apologies, neither is Kev, so Cassie fires herself and collects her stuff. Later, Kev apologises to Abby. She reckons he'd still be doubting her if it wasn't for Roy, and on reflection, she reckons that maybe Cassie deserves a second, second chance after all, and she should pay forward some of the belief that others have had in her. So Abby and Kev go round to see Cassie to unsack her. Thank Abby, says Kev. Abby! 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 They know what she's going through and know what belief can do for a person. You're the before, says Abby, and I'm the after. And Abby and Kev laugh like shits while Cassie stares at a wall. And that's as far (laughs) as we get with that this week. Well, at least they're self-aware enough to recognise the fact that Cassie is basically just Abby. (laughs) Yes. Well, everyone else knows that. Bravo! Right. Bravo. Thank goodness you've saved us from explaining this to you. Right, yes. So Kev obviously has a type. (laughs) Yeah, apparently so. And that type has a type. And it's Kev. Right. Blonde junkies. What does Cassie see in Kev? I think it might be the stability thing. Uh, He's around. (laughs) He's, He's a man that she sees on a regular basis. She already knows he likes junkies. And biscuits. Yeah. What does Abby see in Kev? I still don't understand that relationship. Again, and again, the, I think it's stability. It's stability, yep. Interesting. Yeah. Because, as he said himself, he's he's getting on. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a dick. <laughs> and he's a misogynist. 
Yeah, just a wee bit. And his jokes are terrible. I didn't understand that joke at all. Well, the license plate in the UK is the registration plate, uh-huh. often shortened to the reg plate. Okay, all right. So this is a British joke. This yeah, is so why I didn't reg, get it. Reg, as in Reginald. Yeah. And okay. private reg. Well, yeah, I, I, I get that. I, mm-hmm. I get that reg is a name, but I was like, why would somebody named reg be on a bumper? Yeah, that's why. It, it's, it's, it's like a friend of mine from New Zealand posted a joke earlier today. One picture... It, it it should have been a picture of Minnesota because it was like big soda, mini soda, but it was actually a picture of Oregon. Oh, oh my, that's a joke. <laughs> yeah. And I think, th- I think, think essentially the joke is just really meta where your brain, your brain thinks Minnesota, but you're looking at it and saying, wait a second, that's Oregon. But then there were people who were genuinely confused because they're not Americans. And they're like, wait a second, I thought Minnesota was in the middle of the country. So you're confusing people who genuinely think, well, maybe that is actually Minnesota. This is why John Oliver hates you, New Zealand. This is why. (laughs) I love you, New Zealand. And I love my friends. I wonder if Cassie is going to make, is this going to be an end to her concerted effort on Kev or is this just ramping that whole thing up because surely she should be burned by now she should know that this isn't going to be a, this is not a great idea right she should know that I I don't know you know because because the person that believes in her most is Abby right and this is doing the dirty on Abby right or attempted yeah I think she, I think there's a part of her that seriously just wants to become Abby and she can't become Abby unless she gets Abby out of the picture sort of thing. I'm sure there's, I'm sure it's something like Munchausen syndrome, but not. I'm sure there's a syndrome where you want to replace a human being with yourself. No, there's got to be. Yeah. Kev, meanwhile, is just blissfully unaware of it all. Mm Mm-hmm. The first clue should be that she laughs at the jokes. Right. That's a yeah. clue. You're terrible, terrible, very specific jokes. Told in the correct context. Oh, <laughs> let's give them that at least. Right. All right, moving on is Ruffian Justice. On Tuesday, Evelyn drops into Nina's roles looking for yesterday's Weather Gazette. Roy explains that Tyrone was here looking for her but then left for an emergency about Terry the Ruffian with the dogs. He's been charged and there's going to be a plea hearing tomorrow. So that's exciting, isn't it, Helen? Yes. Even I hope ho- we get to see that. <laughs> Evelyn hopes the Ruffian pleads guilty and then they'll avoid the trial. Roy worries that he'll blame Evelyn and then she points out that she was the one who rescued the wee pup in the first place but she can't help worrying that she'll end up in Nick because of all this. And it turns out that she might get seven years. On Wednesday, Evelyn and Tyrone are chatting on the street. He's sheepish because he's fallen behind on the cleaning since she left. Today is Terry's plea hearing, so Tyrone is going to go in her stead and hopefully not antagonise matters. And later, she's in Nina's roles and learns that Terry the ruffian has pleaded guilty, which is a great relief. Surely they're going to lock him up and throw away the key at the sentencing that's going to happen later. But later at home, Tyrone brings news from the court that Terry the ruffian has gotten away with community service. Evelyn looks on the bright side and still thinks it'll be the last they'll see of him because he knows they'll go to the cops if he shows up. And that's as far as we go with that. And obviously Terry is still going to show up and 
be a ruffian and horrible about this. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm the hoping, dog is long I'm gone, hoping though. to get a little look at this puppy farm. Really? Because I can't get it out of my mind how lovely it sounds. You you haven't seen those commercials with Sarah McLachlan? I, where, I where, have not. Where she plays really sad music and then you see shots of these really horrible puppy farms. No, nope. in my mind. Where female dogs are like in really small cages just having litter after litter and wasting away. Nope, in my mind a puppy farm is a lovely open green space with puppies of uh, golden labs bounding about with toilet paper in their mouth. <laughs> Why only Golden Labs? Because of the cutest puppies. Or uh, Nova Scotia duck tolling retrievers. They're pretty cute puppies as well. No other puppies are cute. Just Sorry, puppies. Two. Just those two. Sorry, puppies. So I want to see this just to get that image out of my head. No, are you Because talking... I'm sure, I'm sure you're right that they're appalling places. Yes. But in my head, I, I think a puppy farm sounds the cutest thing on earth. Really? Because, you know... To me, when, when I'm not thinking of Sarah McLaughlin when I hear Puppy Farm, I think I think dead puppies. Like, no, what's wrong with you? Well, because when, when a dog dies, parents tell their children that they moved to a farm. Let me up, just say. Up north. Some parents do that. Up north where they can frolic and play in the exactly, sunshine. Yeah. But they're really dead. And on that bombshell, <laughs> let's move on to our final story tonight. Paul on a bike. This was a bad idea. This was <clears> such a bad idea. On New Year's Day at the God Flat, Billy's preparing dinner and was hoping for some help from Summer, but she's heading out to see someone from uni, which strikes Billy and Paul as being very suspicious. Later at the God Flat, Billy's talking God business with the bishop, while Paul slowly degenerates on the sofa and his potatoes overflow. Meanwhile, I like that. Paul drops a cup on the floor, which Billy hurries to clean up, cursing Moses for not showing up on time on New Year's Day. He's really got it in for Moses. Right, seriously, because Moses is hot. Let's not forget. Billy is struggling with his pastry, which you can tell because he has flour in his cheeks. Moses, who has arrived in the meantime, has to leave now, which seems to annoy Billy even more, even though Moses isn't a babysitter. And Summer is home for Billy's crappy dinner. <coughs> Paul says he's had enough. But really it's because he's having trouble getting food to his mouth. Billy suggests that he takes more time away from work to give him some extra care, but Paul points out that he's never there anyway, and he sees enough of Billy as it is. Right, yes. And let's all remember this, that Paul very specifically says he sees enough of Billy already, and he doesn't want to see more of him. Yep. He's very, very specific about this fact. Very clear. Very clear. Someone has a surprise for Paul. But it'll have to wait. So on Tuesday at the God Flat, Todd arrives unannounced, which gives Paul the fear. But Todd is here to see Moses and is disappointed to learn that he's not there. Yeah. There's some excitement about Summer's surprise, though. And later, Summer gets back with the surprise, and it's a helmet. <laughs> but that's not the surprise. He needs to wear it to do the surprise. Yes, Paul he's, going is going... To join, he's going to join Daft Punk. <laughs> Paul is going on tour with Daft Punk. No, really. He's going on a motorbike ride. You <laughs> both made a Daft Punk joke. He'll be going in the sidecar. Well, you're married to someone for 
nearly 12 years. What do you expect? <laughs> a bald man with a beard turns up at the God Flat. This must be the biker guy. Mm-hmm. Summer looks outside and notices that there's no sidecar on the bike. The guy explains that this was someone else's bike and no one believes him. And he's like, no, really, this wasn't my bike. Right. Yeah. We were at a bike show. There were lots of bikes there. What he has is a trike. We didn't. This had been cleared up when Summer was making arrangements. Oh, you know, I'd really like to do this for my dad who's dying of MND. And, you know, this is like on his bucket list. But he has MND, so we need to make sure that he stays safe on the bike. Mm. So you have a sidecar, right? This is a conversation that should have happened while Billy was toiling with sticky pastry yesterday right. with flour all over his face. That's what happens when you have trouble with your pastry. You get covered <laughs> in flour. Billy worries about Paul riding Pillion, so the guy calls around to look for a harness. And while they're waiting the harness, someone and Billy lift Paul on the bike, or at least to try... Nick watches this and is reduced to tears. <laughs> then Maria, Tinker and George all get involved, all grabbing a limb and try to get Paul on it. Right, bike. yeah. They're all offering to help. And, and it's funny because George is talking to the guy about the bike and um, and he's correct about what kind of bike it is. And the biker guy, who's also a professor, says, oh, you know, you're really into bikes? And George says nothing. And you know why he says nothing? Because he knows a lot about bikes because he's an undertaker. That's right. That's right. That's Wear like, your helmets, kids. Wear the helmet. Don't know why that's funny. <laughs> so anyway, so everyone's got a limb. And Paul asks to be put down and is somewhat humiliated as they put him back in his chair. Billy was only trying to give Paul a memory, he says. Problem is, he's not the one getting a memory. Right, yes. Back upstairs, Paul is sorry that he wasn't able to enjoy the bike ride and thought that people there were laughing at him. No one was laughing. No. Summer and Billy seem rightfully worried about Paul's mood. And later at the God Flat, Billy's excited with a laptop, but not like that. No. He's been on the internet, but not on those sites. No. And he can get a winter break to Tenerife. But what they're doing now is what Paul wants to do. Sit on his arse, on the sofa, and watch TV. Plus he's worried about the cost. Billy insists it's affordable and he can sit on his arse if he wants in Tenerife. Reluctantly, Paul says he's a maybe. So on Wednesday, Billy is super excited about the holiday. Apparently the hotel has a hoist. I'm not sure that that's a good thing. But Paul is eventually convinced. Summer appears with a package. It's Paul's voice thing. And throughout the episode it's referred to as Paul's voice thing. Seems all he's done is train it in Mancunian phrases. Things are mint and wicked. But it does sound like him. Mm Mm-hmm. So Billy goes off to look for holiday insurance, but it's through the roof. Summer recommends going without insurance. Well done, Summer. Billy says that he can put it on tick, but Paul thinks this changes everything. It was a nice thought, but he would rather just spend time with the people that he loves rather than getting them... Wasting all this money. Wasting credit that's going to be stuck with them long after he's gone. Right. And with that in mind, he asks for a hand to get downstairs so he can go and get fucked at the Rovers. So Paul goes to the pub with Gemma, who cracks out the sangria to make up for the holiday fuck-up. David joins Paul, which is nice that they've remembered that they like each other. Right. And he helps them get wired into the sangria. Jugs later, David is playing with Paul's voice thing. But not like that. Maria comes in to spoil the fun. <sighs> Women. As David is supposed to be doing the barber accounts. Fuck off, says David, through Paul's speech thingy. <laughs> and so Steve appears and joins them. 
And, like, and also d- tells Maria to fuck off because women, am I right? Oh, women, what the like. David delivers Paul back home and helps him out of his wheelchair. David wants another drink, but Paul needs a wee too much. David offers to help Paul get to the bathroom, but Paul thinks he can hold it until Moses gets there. But as soon as David leaves, Paul really needs to go. And David asked a couple of times. Right, yeah, he's like, are you sure? I'll take you. Yeah, he's like, it's not like I haven't seen everything already. We shared a prison cell. Right. So, in a quite upsetting scene, after he can't get a hold of Moses, Paul falls out of his chair as he tries to get to the toilet. And he looks at the toilet rolls. He can see the toilet rolls. And what I thought was that he shot himself because the seeing the toilet rolls was to tell us that he needed to do number two. No, it's just to show you where the bathroom is. Yeah, but thankfully, although it's Why still pretty bad. He's, but. Uh, can he? I know he can only use one hand to do the wheelchair, but surely you could maybe get the wheelchair a little bit closer before you try to lean out of it and fall on the floor. I don't know, but can it was a very upsetting scene, like a catheter or or a bag or something. Ugh, you've obviously never had a catheter before in your life, and it's worse for men. Oh, because it goes down your pee hole. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You think you think a kidney stone is bad? This is going the other way, and it stays. So anyway, he he soils himself, and it's never the highlight of your day when that happens. Yeah. Just then, Billy comes back, but Paul screams him to leave and get Moses. And it takes Billy a frustrating amount of time to understand what Paul's telling him to do. But instead of leaving, he helps Paul. He wants to help Paul get to the bathroom. And although it's probably a little late for that. Yeah, Paul apologizes. and also, maybe Paul, do what Paul is asking you to do. Paul apologizes to Billy, and Billy plans to shout very loudly at Moses later. And later when Moses gets there, Billy is very upset about the care he's given Paul. But Moses is late because of an accident on the motorway and they're understaffed as it is. And now Moses is there and despite being a bit of a prick, Billy leaves him to look after Paul. Right, and kind of apologises. So Billy gets back just as Moses is leaving. Billy informs Paul that he's taken indefinite leave from whatever job it is that he's doing. Paul didn't want this a couple of days ago and despite the toilet incident, certainly doesn't want it now. Right? Billy thinks that Paul needs 24-hour support and he loves Paul more than he loves his job and by extension God. Paul doesn't (laughs) want to hear it though, but Billy's made up his mind and the die has been cast. Right. Later, when Gemma and Summer get home, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. Paul asks for Gemma to wheel him to the bedroom as Billy insists to Summer that everything's fine. Mm -hmm. Summer doesn't buy it, so he explains what happened earlier, but doesn't mention that he's packed in his job. Right, after Paul very specifically told him not to pack in his job. Billy sobs that it's only going to get worse, and then the unthinkable's going to happen, and at that he breaks down. Right, as does Summer, who still doesn't understand why they had a fight if this is all of it. Later... Paul explains to Todd, and I was confused because Paul's been taken to the bedroom, but presumably he's been taken back out of it again and everyone right. else is left he, and now yeah. Todd's here. Right, and we don't get to hear his conversation with Gemma where he explains why they're mad at each other. Paul explains to Todd what happened and he includes Billy leaving his job to wipe and wind him and drag him around. Well, Billy's made his choice and now Paul is making his. Today has made up his mind. The assisted dying plan is back on the table and now he needs to get his ducks in a row. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yes. Yeah. Billy What is, the fuck, Billy? Billy is trying to be the martyr here, isn't he? Yeah. The martyr it, complex that he wants to be the one who's... Right. ...dedicating his life to take care of. Right. 
his dying husband right even though his dying husband that's the last thing that he wants right he's doing this for himself yes rather than doing it for For paul Paul. exactly and you know this because of the way he explains what happened to summer and doesn't mention the whole oh and i did exactly what paul told me not to do part and this isn't the first time that paul's told him this yeah he's got moses Mm mm-hmm and, and yes, he doesn't have Moses all the time, but that's fine because he does go out and he does other things. You know, I think I think Paul needs to allow his friends to help him more and maybe not be quite so sensitive about it because everybody was genuinely trying to be helpful with the whole motorcycle thing. Right. And, and accept David's offer of help. Right. When it was given because... Right. Because, Paul, you don't know when this guy's arriving. Right, yeah. And you don't know how long you're going to be able to hold this in. Right. And it could have been worse if it, if it was a poo, then that becomes a far worse situation. Yes. And a far more humiliating right. situation when, yes. when Billy comes home. Right. So there was an offer of help. You need to start accepting these. Right. We got a, a home help for my mum mm-hmm. in her last uh, few weeks. And they are, they're in and they're out because they've got so many people to see and so yes. many people to help. Mm-hmm. They come in, they make a cup of tea, they clean up, they run around with the hoover mm-hmm. and then they leave. Yeah. So. And it's even worse in this country where that's not paid for. So what we're seeing here with Moses, I think, is absolutely the case. That, mm-hmm. Yes, it is your carer and your, your personal assistant. Right. But it's not a one-to-one relationship. Right. This, Moses is looking after probably 10 different people that he's got to go and see in a day. Right. And they can only spare half an hour each and then he's got to travel between them. Yeah. So There's only so much time in a day and lots and, of... And Billy should fucking know this. Right. Yes. Considering most of his flock are older people. Yeah. He should absolutely know this and he should absolutely have more compassion. And and Billy was absolutely ridiculous with that with that dinner and everything you know, trying to do far too many things. And when Paul is like, you know, it's, it's fine. We don't, it doesn't need to be perfect. It's fine. Summer should have fucking stayed, (laughs) you know, because she could have made all of these arrangements with her professor over the phone. Well, I think what she was doing was trying to arrange the surprise. Which she could do over the phone. In her room, and then hang up and help Billy, because. Well, let's be honest though. Someone does say you're a grown ass man, Billy. You can make dinner. <laughs> it doesn't take two people to make dinner. But then, but it's nice. It's nice to have somebody to work together. We make Thanksgiving dinner together, and we're both grown ass adults who are very good at cooking. But both of us could manage it on our own. Right, but we don't have to. Yeah. And Summer could stick around and help because she's better at cooking than Billy is. They all acknowledge the fact that Billy is not great at cooking and doesn't know how to roast potatoes. Since when was this a thing that Billy didn't know how to cook? Well, maybe they took our complaints seriously because about Aggie and said, well, let's make a man not be able to Because cook. the only time we, we see him doing things that are kind of churchy is handing out soup. He doesn't make the soup. I'm, I'm not saying that he does, but he knows the man knows how to cook. 
I mean, I know how to ladle soup. This isn't... You, you can't spring this on us at this late stage that Billy right. suddenly doesn't know how to cook. That pastry was so sticky. He had flour on his cheeks. That That's how we know that the, the pastry was too sticky. Well, and, and also because he kept going like this. And well, he's let it like, thaw too much. There's not enough flour in the pastry. And he's probably allowed the butter to melt because he's been working it too much. But not like that. <laughs> but not like that. Dirty, dirty boy. No, Billy was a, a very much a source of frustration this week. Yes, he was such... And this is not the first time that we have seen this side of Billy, though, where he makes Paul's dying all about him. Mm-hmm. He's consistently doing this. And now he's cutting himself off from his job that he's just got back, by the way. Right, yes, because let's remember, they wanted to fire him because he's gay and married. So he was... Kind of his jacket's on a bit of a sugarly peg at the best of times, so... They were okay with him being gay and not married and living in sin. But once they got married and made it official... He's just lucky that Greg the Bishop's such a reasonable guy. Right, and allows him to call him Greg. (laughs) Right. Show me one bishop in real life who allows people to call them by their first names. But I don't know that many bishops. (laughs) Lucky you. But this is kind of shown... Billy in a, dare I say, a very unchristian light. Absolutely. Where he is making the the death of his partner about him. It's about his sacrifice Mm -hmm. for his partner rather than what his partner really wants and needs. And and it's almost like if things go wrong, that's a good thing because it allows me to be frustrated and right. angry at my own failings. Right. And and since when was, was Paul ever about this? Or since yeah. when did Paul ever need something like this? this right. Is, I, I guess where we're going with this is that Billy is eventually going to help Paul Die. in his assisted suicide. Yeah. And, and get the jail. Yeah. And then the self-flagellation can finally finish. You've achieved your goal. Right. Your actions supposedly to save or to uh, to comfort your dying husband have led to you going to jail. Congratulations, Billy. Game over. Right. Uh, and it's just, I mean, we and, and Den, and I'm sure lots of other people, are, are constantly... Frustrated by the fact that the show doesn't seem to understand Christianity or the people who are supposed to be running Christianity. And we rarely see Billy in a church. And sometimes we see Billy in a church and he's sitting in a pew. The man was at home all day on Christmas Day. And he didn't sing along away in the manger. That is... Not happening if you work at a church. We've got a Billy in a church song, and how many times have we sang it? <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Seriously. I we know people who are, are not the preacher in a church. They're like the organist. And they're at the church all day on Christmas Day. <laughs> you know? They're not even the big cheese. Billy should have no time 
and and maybe this is, maybe this is right. You should have no time to do both things. Right. That part of it's probably true. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do much churching anyway. But he doesn't do the churching bit anyway. So he's not saving himself any time here. He's really not. By not going to a job that he never went to in the first place. Correct. Ugh. And by by taking this leave of absence, by separating himself from his flock, he's not just doing exactly what Paul asked him not to do. He is separating himself from other people who genuinely need him. Yep. You know, and doing and tending to his flock. It's just the worst. He's so, so terrible. This is why I'm like, who's worse? Is it Daniel or is it Billy? Because they're both kind of bad in the same way, where they make everything all about themselves and not about their partners. Daniel is more condescending, but I think Daniel is more condescending because he's condescending to women. And so I feel that deep in my core, <laughs> as, as opposed to Billy being condescending to other gay men. I don't know, I don't know how the show feels about it. I suspect because he didn't tell some of the full story that the right. show is recognizes that this, isn't, this isn't a great look for yeah. Billy. But the the annoying thing about it, or one of the annoying things about it, or the thing that maybe annoyed me most about it was Billy's attitude here and the way that he's been portrayed really stole something from that beautiful scene that he had with Summer. Right. Where yeah. he breaks down, where for the first time you really see how he feels. He's, he's had that kind of look right. in his face a little bit and he's maybe shed a, a little tear mm-hmm. or two, but he's never really broken down the way that he broke down with Summer there. Yeah. And But the reason that he's doing it is, is, is because he's done the wrong thing and doesn't acknowledge it. Right, yes. And, and so he's it, doing it for himself more than for Paul dying. So that steals something away from that, the emotion of that scene. Right, because it's based on the wrong thing. And, and he doesn't he shouldn't have that. No. That, that should that should be an earned right. emotional scene in it, and it's not. No. And I, and I don't think I like that. No. And it's also frustrating because what Billy is also doing is taking away something from the rest of the people who love Paul. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who love Paul. He's got his sister. He's got, you know, by extension, you know, Dev and Chesney, Ed. You know, Ed, David, you know, he is, he's beloved by so many people who, if a George, Todd, right, there are all these people who, who have really encircled Paul in, in love and support and Billy by saying, nope. Nope, I alone can help this situation. I alone can be the one person to sacrifice for my husband. That's that's denying all of those other people time with Paul that is very, very limited. Yeah. If he said, you know what? I can't do everything. Moses can't do everything. Let's get together with the other people and we can create a rota. We can create a schedule so that we, we, can, we can plan a, um, like a phone tree. Mm-hmm. So you are never alone 
when you need help, you can, there's always going to be somebody who you can contact. Right. You know, which is kind of one of the frustrating things about this, because the last time Paul needed a wee and had fallen over, he called Todd when he couldn't call in, when he couldn't get a hold of anybody else. And Todd helped him pee in public. Yeah. And if he'd let David help, Mm -hmm. then a lot of the potential shame goes away that you've done it the first time Mm -hmm. it didn't kill you right therefore it's it's something you can right you can go to in the future but can we just maybe acknowledge because i think we should say this and i think we've forgotten how bad an idea it was to put paul on a bike given the accident that led to the mnd diagnosis in the first place was also paul on a bike I forgot about that. Well, so did Summer. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That just makes all of that so much worse. Exponentially worse, I feel. There are so many other things on Paul's bucket list that she could have arranged. Right. That, that wouldn't have been ironic. Right. Oh, my God. Does I have even a non ironic bucket list? Maybe she's looked at the sadly ironic bucket list to <laughs> add fewer things on it. Ride a bike, steal a car. That's like when it's like when Sarah suggested to Carla, you know, that that she get him that she get Peter a a car racing. It's exactly that. Yep, that's exactly that experience for a, Christmas. A, a Canadian car racing experience. <laughs> Can we just say though how great Peter Ash was in those scenes? He's always great. It breaks my heart every time. It does. It does. And it's just kind of sad that they finally give him a really meaty storyline that he can really sink his teeth into and, and show his acting chops in, you know, and and it's going to end in him dying and leaving the show. Yeah. And, 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 and I fear he's going to be, he will be going on his own terms. I don't yeah. think that, I don't think it makes sense from a story point of view for it to, just be a natural causes thing is yeah. it's going to be and that's that's a difficult subject to breach and i'd really hope they do it well yeah well that was the week that was coronation street helen tell me your moment of the week oh god is it everybody holding hands and singing old lang syne in front of in front of the pub and steve taking his shirt off and <sighs> daisy standing alone shedding one single tear no, not for me. For what? me, I think it was uh, Paul and David and Steve getting wired into the sangria. Oh my God, how could I have forgotten? Yes, that's absolutely moment of Because that was just such good fun. It really was. And it was nice. It's nice to see Paul with people who aren't Billy. Yes. Because he's always happier. That is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. <sighs> Billy with flour on his face? You're determined to give it to Billy. I don't know that Billy or summer was boring. Ex- summer explaining to Billy how to roast potatoes. Can I just say how much I loved Summer now? <laughs> that she's not forgetting about her diabetes. That she's not cheating. Well, the show has forgotten about that her she's diabetes. Not cheating Let's on be exams, honest. That she's not trying to sell babies that don't exist. <laughs> that she's not falling over constantly. That she's not throwing Addy under a bus. I so, so prefer Summer now. When and she's even trying if, to get, <laughs> even if she was trying to get Paul, Paul on the bike, bike. I, 
That's that feels like a summer thing to do. I, I can I can get with that. Uh, she, the, the Daft Punk experience would have been much much better. <laughs> Paul the DJ and, and lucrative. Ah, <laughs> uh, kiss. I think it's 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 Harvey suggesting a stupid robbery with guns. For me, was just like, are we doing this really? Or, or do we just jump on it with everyone else and say Adam's kidnapping? <laughs> That's quite funny if we do that. Simply because no one gave a fuck about it one way or the other. Right, and or, it only took an hour and a half. Yes, Adam's kidnapping is, is... Boring moment of the week. Billy and Daniel, you've been spared. <laughs> but just for this week. There we go. I don't think Adam's ever got boring moment of the week no. before. You scored it at 10 this week? Two. Oh, Really? As low as that? No. No. Five and a half. I, I think a, I think a six and a half for me. You, you know, a lot of it was all right. And, and I feel like they did. But I'm not going to be happy about anything that happens in the pub because I'm still so very angry at, at Jenny and Daisy for stealing money from the knicker people. Sure. Daniel and Billy make me so angry that it just clouds over any good fun that's had on the show. And until you remind me about the sangria, because that was delightful. That was. It was delightful. And in fairness, I also loved David and all of the plat scenes. Like when he said platitudes. Platitudes was good. And then he's like, why is nobody laughing at this? This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Helen, Pickles, DT, Trisha, Wendy, Noel, Canadian Helen, Christy, and Shandy. Woohoo! Thank you all! If you've ever bought a dressing gown that for some reason doesn't have a belt on it, write in to tell us about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to a merch store and YouTube please. channel. But if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. We haven't had one of them in ages. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Uh, talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.